We come to the third week of Easter, listening to the Acts of the Apostles every day, and the same theme keeps coming up. We've heard it for about a week and a half, uh, but to put it in a nutshell, the, uh, these disciples were arrested and put in prison by the Sanhedrin and the, the chief high priest, and, and at night, these angelic spirits freed them, and they were preaching the next day. So the Sanhedrin got all upset and arrested them again and put them back in jail. And so now they're standing before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin says to them, the chief priest of the Sanhedrin says, what are you doing out there preaching? We already arrested you and told you not to say anything in his name. And this is how they respond, the disciples. I mean, these people had courage. They said, we don't listen to men. We listen to God. And then they flogged them and sent them out, and they went right back out preaching. I don't know if we have that kind of courage or we're in a position to do that, but, but they did. And this was this apostolic moment in the life of the church where, where the church was just bursting with faith and with spirit. The second reading, again, we hear Revelation, and, and um, it reminded me of a scene or a piece in the Handel Messiah uh, when they're singing one of the Psalms. And the Psalm repeats this several times. It says, Who is this King of glory? Who is this King of glory? Who is this king of glory? Three times it asks it in the psalm, and they sing it. And they say, it is the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And in this context, it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the king of glory. That's glory? Dying on a cross with nails in your hand and bleeding to death? Mm -hmm. It was for Jesus. Because it was his moment that he could preach the strongest message ever, love your enemies, pray for those who hate you, Bless those who persecute you. Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. It's, it's the moment of glory. But the real heart of today's scriptures is yet another scene of the appearance stories of Jesus. And in this particular one, some real interesting thing happens. Now, John was the latest of the gospel writers, say around 100, 110. So he used material from Mark, from Matthew, from Luke, and maybe some other material he had. And then he did what all of the gospel writers did. They took the material and wrote it in a story form to, to teach and to grab our attention. So the first thing that strikes me, and I didn't notice this for years, I think two years ago, I, 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 it hit me, the charcoal fire. And so I, I went on Google and checked it out, and sure enough, the charcoal fire is only mentioned twice in the Gospel of John. Here at the scene, at, uh, when he's going to give breakfast to them, uh, fish and bread, When's the other charcoal fire? Anybody know? Uh -huh. In the garden, when uh, Jesus is already arrested and he's being questioned, and then these women start coming up to Peter and saying, surely you were one of his disciples. And he says, I don't know him. I don't know him. And then another woman comes up and says, wait a minute. I know I saw you with him and the other disciples. No, I don't know him. This is Peter. This is Jesus he's talking about. So finally, a third person comes up and says, surely you're one of them. I recognize you. He starts cursing and swearing. I don't even know the man. And then the gospel is fulfilled. Before the cock, the rooster crows twice, you'll, you'll deny me thrice, three times. And he denies again. So Peter goes out, weeps bitterly for, for what he has done. He's betrayed Jesus. So there he is, three times he denies the Lord, and here, three times Jesus gives him the chance to profess his love. 
But we'll come back to this. Now, at the beginning of the gospel, um, Peter decides to go fishing at night. So he tells the other disciples, I'm going fishing. They said, well, let us go with you. So they all get in the boat and go. It says they fished all night and they caught nada. Zero. Not even one fish. And they were tired. So they come into shore. They're coming into shore. And there's Jesus standing there after the resurrection. And he says, uh, he says, uh, go out and he asks them if they're hungry, but he says, go out and cast your net over the right side. And so they just do it. They don't know who it is. The gospel says it real clearly. They didn't recognize him. But then they caught so many fish, it ends up 153, which I know is a significant number, but I don't know what it means. I didn't check that one out. Uh, they, they catch so many fish, and the net isn't tearing, but they're dragging it into shore. And that's the moment that John gets it. Because Jesus performed all these signs and miracles all the time. And every time he, he performed one, he was saying who he was. And the moment they caught all those fish, it clicks in John's mind, the beloved one. And he says, it is the Lord. So Peter jumps in the water to swim back as fast as he can. Now, this is interesting because Peter denied him three times. And right off the bat, I don't remember if this is the first time that Peter gets to see him. There may be one other time. But they didn't recognize him. John does. And then Peter rushes to swimming, and the others follow in the boat, dragging the fish. And so, again, Jesus says, you're hungry, and he, he gives them some food. Now, this is another significant detail, because every time that Jesus had food uh, with his disciples or anyone else, it's always something significant happens. What's the most significant? The Last Supper, uh, the bread and the wine. This is my body. This is my blood. But this is the next meal he has with them, this breakfast. And just like when he multiplied the fish and the loaves, he again gives them bread and fish. And at this meal, they're celebrating this recognition of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns to Peter. They finish breakfast, and he turns to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, this in itself is interesting, because who does the these refer to? Is Jesus saying, do you love me more than these disciples, your brothers? Or is he saying, do you love me more than these love me? And I think the text is not very clear, it's ambiguous, and it's typical Jesus to say maybe more than one thing. But Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Then he says, Peter, but before I say it, I'm going to test it on you. What do you think if I said this? Uh, how many people are going to go to communion today? Raise your hand. Okay, thank you. How many people are going to go to communion today? Raise your hand. Okay, thank you. How many people? Are you nuts, Father Perry? You asked us twice. Why a third time? What's going on here? But John has a purpose here. And John's the only one who does this. Peter denied Jesus three times. So Jesus gives him the opportunity to profess his faith and heal that wound three times. The third time, Peter's upset, distressed. Why do you keep asking me? But Jesus, Jesus did this all the time. When Jesus saw somebody in need, he almost always knew what the need was. 
If he saw a blind man, he'd say to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. He saw a crippled man who couldn't walk. What would you like? I want to walk. Get up. Open your eyes. Open your mouth and speak. But Jesus always gave the dignity to the person that he was going to heal by letting them announce what it is that they needed. But this time he doesn't ask Peter, what do you need? He knew what Peter needed. He knew that Peter was guilt-ridden because he had denied him, betrayed him. Peter denied Jesus. So he just invited him to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And in this way, John shows Jesus, who is able to forgive the sin, forgive the betrayal, but at the same time, not just grant forgiveness, but invite the person to seek healing, and he gets it. But then something remarkable follows. He says this thing that, well, I, I think anyone over 70 here, you don't have to reveal the age. Ladies, you don't have to reveal, okay? You're, we know you're 21. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if you think this, but every time I read this passage, I get the heebie-jeebies, the creeps, uh, that uh, you're going to get old and someone's going to wheel you around in a wheelchair where you don't want to go and they're going to clothe you like you don't want to be clothed and that's too bad because that's what happens when you get old and gray. And I know it's coming. Oh, please, Jesus, I know it's coming though. And he uses this phrase to explain, I didn't want to go there, but I knew I had to go there. This is where I'm going to end up. And in that context... He says, follow me. Follow me. Well, I believe we've got to understand that invitation and call to follow Jesus through that cross, because we're all going to have crosses. I'll tell you, the biggest cross I think I've ever seen in my life that I've seen, because I was uh, born after the Second World War and the Holocaust and all of that, but the biggest I've seen is this Ukrainian war. It's the biggest. And I say to you, I cannot believe that the Ukrainian people as a whole will ever forgive Russia. Certainly not for a hundred years, but I don't think ever. As a whole, the whole people. However, I do believe there will be individual Ukrainians who do. I believe there will be individual Ukrainians who believe so deeply in Jesus and the gospel that they will forgive Russia for what they've done to them. And these may be people who lost their mom and or their dad, their spouse or their children, their mothers and or their sisters or all of the above. But when somebody says that they want to follow Jesus, even after he, they hear him describe his cross and they say, follow me through this, we all have crosses right now. There's people that are going through uh, marital issues, uh, their children have betrayed them or they've lost their children or their, their parents have abandoned them, or they're going financial crises, or any number of things, and yet they go on. And sometimes it's right in the middle of those things that they say, yes, I will follow you, Lord. I do believe you. I do love you, just like Peter. So here we are in the middle of Easter, and I think the message is clear. We are being invited into a relationship with Jesus Christ to follow him no matter what. But not just to follow him no matter what, to find in the what our faith and our trust.
and our belief that we're being loved and supported. And not only do we do that individually, hopefully, we get the opportunity to be with a whole bunch of people that believe that, that try to live it. And in sharing that life together, sharing that message, in all of us saying, yes, Lord, I love you and I will follow you, that's where we find this gift of life. 